Hey, Jen, how's it going? What's going on, Devin? Hi. So, Jen, you are uh, one of the students we have at Independent Helicopters. Nick is your primary instructor, and then um, we haven't actually worked together, have we? We haven't, yeah. No, not yet. So In the future. Yeah, in the future. So you, the reason I wanted you to come on is you have what I find to be a very interesting backstory. And you said you don't think it is, but tell me a little bit about what you do. And then after that, I want to ask about like how you got to what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I actually do a lot, um, but I'm a flight nurse, a flight paramedic. And I'm also the education manager for over 1500 clinicians for a flight company. What, and what company is that? Air Methods. So okay. we are a critical care uh, medical air transport company. So how did you get to that position? What was your whole backstory getting to where you are now? All right. So funny enough, I actually wanted to be a lawyer because uh, I love to argue. Okay. Love to debate. Yeah. Um, so started school and went to Syracuse. Love Syracuse. Hated that major. And I want to do something else. So they actually had an ambulance up there for the college. Like, what is going on there? That looks super interesting and fun. So I actually got my EMT basic. And I thought it was great not to work within four walls. Get to work outside, see people, people watch. Watch them do crazy stuff. Yeah. So it was intriguing. So I switched from a law degree, essentially, to medicine. So then I worked in Syracuse on a ground ambulance, got my paramedic. Ton of fun. Isn't that pretty difficult? Paramedics like a pretty high rating, is it? I they don't get enough credit. Okay, for sure. Uh, paramedics, anybody in EMS, they deserve truly a round of applause. They work super hard. So I was an EMT going to paramedic school full time, working at the hospital, and yeah, it was uh, challenging to say the least. Why? Well, I worked nights for probably about ten years, and. Uh, I heard one of your earlier podcasts about um, being a flight instructor and how it's dangerous. And I was like, well, yeah, you get a bunch of yahoos that don't know what they're doing inside of a helicopter. That's a pretty dangerous job as a flight instructor. But then I thought about my 911 days on, on nights. Oh, I got some stories. Yeah. So, okay, let's get into it real quick. What, what happened on, okay, so when you were working nights uh, on the ground ambulance, was that in Syracuse? It was in Syracuse, yeah. And Syracuse is like Western New York. It's a relatively big city, right? Um, well, in the grand scheme of things, not so big, but a lot goes on. Yeah. So as you were uh, working there, what happened? Like, tell me some of the memorable moments. <laughs> Had a, a good group of folks that I worked with. We were, we were tight. Um, but, you know, just like you hear on the news, there's shootings, there's stabbings. A lot of intoxicated people. Um, but sometimes that was like a little bit the more fun calls, if you will, mm -hmm. um, people displayed at their best. Uh, I'll use air quotes and sarcasm. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and then you get into the, the car accidents, but most of all, it was truly helping people on their worst day. Most people helping them on their worst day. And as, as weird or uh, it may be said, or many people say, you know, you just want to help somebody. Well, at the end of the day, that's really what you're doing and fell in love with it. Absolutely fell in love with it. Whether it was the person that called every day at two o'clock in the morning because they're lonely, or they call for a reason, right? You just wanna help them out. Or somebody truly having the heart attack or the stroke, or I will never forget, we had a call and uh, 12 years ago, be 12 years ago on Father's Day. And it was 
mother given birth. Not one of my favorite things. Anything down south, I don't like dealing with. Not mm-hmm. my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the baby was born without a heartbeat. And so there was mom and dad. And you can only imagine emotions. And we actually got the baby back. And every Father's Day, he emails me. Wow. So wait, okay, the baby was born without a heartbeat. Was the baby born at home or something? Or at some- home, yeah. Was that intentional? Um, things just happened really fast. Okay. Yeah. So it really caught him off guard. And wow. So just like the EMS system, did you know that's what you were walking into? So I got to tell you, that was the first baby I delivered. No way. Yep. So right, you, you practice that stuff. You're in a textbook. You know, you go to clinicals at the hospital. They try to prepare you for that. Nothing prepares you for that. Wow. Have you, have you met the child as yeah. Really? Yep. What was that like? It was absolutely outstanding. And funny enough, um, I actually live in their neighborhood now. No way. Yeah. Wow. It's kind of remarkable, but every Father's Day, so this will be year number 12, I'll get an email. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It, it's, it's amazing. So that's awesome. What was, what was like the worst call in Syracuse or one of the comes to the top of the mind? Uh, th- there's, there's several, you know, I, I always go back to we had such a, again, a tight family. And a lot of those tragic calls you go to, you responded with four or five ambulances. And because there was just multiple patients and just kind of sorting through the chaos, if, if you will. Um, a lot of it, you know, just goes back to the shootings and stabbings. But I like going back to the more memorable and delivering that baby. Again, I don't like dealing with anything down that way. Uh-huh. It was just truly life-changing. Yeah. And well... I appreciate you telling that. That's awesome. You were in college in Syracuse and wanted to be a lawyer. You said, no, that's gross. I want to. Yeah. So you worked on the college ambulance, got your EMT basic, then your paramedic, and you did that for how long? So still a paramedic as well, but I worked in Syracuse for just over 10 years. Okay. On the ground ambulance. And there's you know only a certain scope of practice you have as a paramedic. You can do a lot of things liberally, but within guidelines. And if I don't get challenged, I cause trouble. Mm. So I, I need to do something all the time. So I wanted to up my game a little bit and didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do. So one of my coworkers said, hey, uh, Air Methods is opening up a couple bases in New York State. You should really you know, go, go interview, see what happens. I'm like, no, I'm not good enough. That's, that's not me. And she continued to poke and prod me. So I was like, ah, I'll interview, I'll see what happens. It was, I feel, the worst interview I've ever completed in my life. It was terrible. I walked out of there like, there's no way they're going to hire me. And then 10 hours later, I get a phone call. They're like, hey, want a job? Watertown, New York, Fort Drum, New York. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? They're like, no, no, let's do it. What were were the requirements at the time to get in there? What did you need? So at the time, obviously, you have to be a nurse or paramedic okay. and three years of experience, okay. along with a slew of certifications. I wouldn't say I just met that, but I, mean, I had about 10 years of experience. I still didn't feel like I was ready. And plus, we're doing a different level of medicine inside of a helicopter um, used to four wheels on the ground. Some basic like time commitments, like three years, your paramedic. Um, what was the training process, initial training process? And how long ago was this? For air methods? Yeah. Yeah. So this will be nine years ago in August. Okay. And we were, we had to go to Denver. So that's where the, the corporate headquarters are. And at that time it was about 
I want to say 10 or 14 days. It's all a blur right now. Yeah. So either 10 or 14 days uh, in dock, back to back. In dock? So yeah, we call Indoctrination. it. Indoctrination. Yeah, okay. we call it in dock. Yeah. Uh, for new hires. So it's about a class of 30 um, from people all over the country. And there's actually still three of us that were hired together that still live here in New York State. How often are they doing classes? Every two weeks. Oh, that wow. Yeah. Is the turnover rate high? I wouldn't say it's incredibly high. This is a super challenging job. Uh, So you're taking, so we practice under guidelines. They're called patient care guidelines. It's 527 pages. You don't have to know it all. Yeah. Uh, That's what we have references for in our iPad, but um, it's a huge scope of practice and you practice truly independently. So it's you and your partner. So on every aircraft, there's a pilot, there's a flight nurse and a flight paramedic. And we're, we're the team. Um, it equates to about the second or third year level of residency mm-hmm. of medicine. Yeah. Why is it? So it's always like a, a flight nurse and a flight paramedic. Is it the reasoning behind that? Can they do the same things? Yeah. So our scope of practice is the same. Um, but we respond to what we call inner facility calls. We're seeing calls, right? So inner facility, we go to a hospital, we see what's going on with the patient what we need to do for them, whether it's true like emergency work or like critical care ICU work for that patient, or we do the scene call, right? It's like you land on the highway, you take care of the, the patient, that kind of car accident type of thing. Um, but the way we practice is that paramedic is so used to being outside pre-hospital work, dealing with the environment, uh, the, the chaos. I always call it like MacGyver medicine, not really MacGyver medicine, but you, know, you kind of just got to figure it out where the nurse, the nursing side is you got four walls and lights and you have all the resources you want. So you put the best of those both worlds together. You get an awesome combination. If someone was like wanting to do it, just the school amount, just from like my general understanding is like a paramedic going and getting that is significantly less than nursing. What's to stop like going the paramedic route, it's cheaper, potentially faster. And then you can also end up on a helicopter. Is there anything you would say to that? Yeah, so um, I I did both. A lot of the folks I work with are both paramedics and nurses. So duly certified is what we call it. Um, I truly think you have to go into which part of the medicine you love the most. You know, to get my nursing was great. I tell you, I was bored. Um, Again, it's being between, you know, four walls. And someone's always telling you what to do. So a doctor is telling you what to do. I have a hard time with that. Um, being a paramedic, it's you're making those decisions in the moment decisions. No one's telling you what to do. It's you're making that. So you're also solely responsible for that decision. Yeah. So that's where I like to leave it. That pre-hospital side, we call it, is working with medicine outside of the facility. So you were in college, you got your paramedic license. Then how did you get your nursing license? I wanted to, so nursing, you get a little bit more in depth in anatomy, physiology, labs, pharmacology, that type of stuff. Um, paramedicine, you can do a bit more interventions quickly, urgently. Um, so I just wanted to up my game a little bit. I wanted to be marketable, if you will. So if you have a paramedic and a nurse, you're pretty marketable in, in the world. Yeah. Um, and you get paid more. Yeah. yeah. That's helpful. <laughs> Uh, quick question, just because I'm so curious about it. Is it significantly more? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. from, from like the aviation side being like 
a helicopter pilot and a fixed wing pilot, if you've got like your commercial for both, being a dually rated pilot, you will make significantly more because you can just do so much more for yeah. an organization. You're worth the price of almost two people. Well, I didn't want to be bored, but up my game, but also in nursing, you can pick specialties, which is kind of nice. So, you know, do you want to work in the ED, pediatrics, high risk OB? Um, I chose what I found fascinating was something called ECMO and extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. So for folks out there, it's similar to bypass, um, but a little bit more intense. So essentially you have a patient's heart and lungs that are not functioning well, and they're not oxygenating. So what we would do is we call them cannulas. I call them garden hoses. Um, we put some in veins and arteries, we take blood out, we put it through, essentially we call it an oxygenator. It's like a fake lung. And we infuse that with oxygen we take the CO2 out and put it back into the body. It's amazing. Yeah. That's like, that's like magic. It's, it's brilliance. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. So I, I grew fascinated. Um, and I got my specialty in ECMO. Really? So you can specialize that? You can. Is, Is it not just a machine? It is a machine, um, with hoses and wires and blood and oxygen and there's a lot that, that goes into it. Um, it truly takes a team to coordinate that type of effort to not only initiate it on a patient, but maintain it. So you go to like regular nursing school with everyone else. And then do you special, do you pick your specialty within nursing school or afterwards? And then usually go- afterwards, um, cause you have to gain so much experience. So you usually start on whether it's like a, a medical floor um, it's so busy right now. I'm sure, you know, you guys read in articles or see on the news how shorthanded staff is. Uh, so everybody's a little bit of everywhere. And if you want experience, now is the time for experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that's probably going to continue for the foresee- foreseeable future. I think so. Yeah. And I don't know if it's just COVID or there's been like just a, a switch, but it just seems crazier just from like my perception of the medical field. But maybe I was just unaware before COVID. It was busy, but not like this kind of busy. I want to get back to uh, Air Method. So you got the call 10 hours later, say, yeah. do you want to work in Watertown, New York? Watertown and Fort Drum. Okay. Where is that in New York? Uh, so they call it the North Country. Okay. Um, so it's probably like 90 minutes north of Syracuse, 90 minutes to two hours north of Syracuse. Okay. And Syracuse is on the western side of New York, kind of by the, the Great Lakes. Kind of. Yeah. 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 Okay. So... You, from the time getting that call till you were on the helicopter, how, what did that process look like? Yeah, so we spent time in Denver for those couple of weeks, right? They teach us everything. Well, I shouldn't say everything, but a good intro to one aviation, right? Here's your helmet. Here's your flight suit. This is how you zip it up. Don't fall off skids, that, <laughs> that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a walk around? They are huge on safety, very huge on safety. So from day one, that's exactly what they preached. And you never did anything on your own, um, which started my fascination truly with helicopters. So not only, right, eh, people look cool. They have a helmet. They have night vision goggles, right? They have a flight suit. Um, the medicine you get to do in one of those things, it's, just, it's badass. Is just it? the whole thing is badass. Um, so, yeah, it, it sparked my interest on many levels. So after you left Denver, you got assigned to a preceptor and a mentor. And mine was actually here in Albany, New York. So we have an aircraft here in Selkirk. And at the time it was positioned at Albany Medical Center. 
And Albany Medical Center, is, is that a big hospital in reference? It's relatively big. Okay. Yeah, it offers a lot of services. Okay. And yeah, so that's where I started my orientation. Um, and I don't remember how many flights it was or how many shifts I had. I just remember going home overwhelmed. Yeah. It just, between the drive, uh, what you had to learn, my preceptors were fantastic. Um, they challenged me. Are those like advisors? Yeah. So somebody that, you know, that you're assigned to that truly one challenges you, uh, but make sure that you're competent, competent and safe. So not only operationally, logistically, uh, but also clinically. So I'm safe to be on the aircraft, but also to practice medicine, hopefully at its finest. Mm. And that took me about two months, which at that time was probably be about on average. And then um, they said, hey, head over to Watertown and Fort Drum. This is your partner. And uh, had a blast. Had a blast. How long were you there? I was there for probably about two and a half, three years. Then we opened up a base in Seneca Falls, New York. So that's truly um, the Finger Lakes area. Wine country, if you will. Yeah. Beautiful. And I was there for a couple of years and then they had a, a position that opened, which was an education. Wait, hold on. So, uh, the first base you were at that you were at for two and a half years, like three years or something, you said that, okay, here's your partner. Is it always you and the same partner? Is it like the you three as a crew together or anyone at a base can be paired together? Yeah. So as long as every state has certain regulations, but usually it's a flight nurse and a flight paramedic that are paired together okay. along with the pilot. So we work 24 hour shifts and the pilots were in 12s. Um, we were paired um, usually every quarter we did a rotation. So we worked with the same partner at least for three months. And you guys were always like either night shift or day shift. So as a medical crew, you were 24 hours. Okay. So what, yeah. yeah, what did your schedule look like? Uh, at that time, a little different than now, but it was 24 hours on 24 off 24 hours on five days off, which was pretty amazing. Say that one more time. So 24 on yeah, 24 off okay, 24 on and then five days off. That sounds great. It, it, was. it sounds great. It sounds great. Um, but there is always, you know, over time or a lot of people, you know, still worked a second job or you took that other time to go, go to school. Mm -hmm. And okay. So you were there for two and a half years. What were the typical calls you go on? What's like the most overwhelming number one call? So the call that always stands in my mind from working up North is my, my partner and I, uh, when we had a blast, they had something that's called pirates weekend up in the North country pirate pirates weekend. Okay. Uh, so they have a bunch of, you know, um, lakes and mountains up there and parties, if you will. And, uh, you know, we got called to a hospital and somebody decided to go cliff jumping mm. and off one of these cliffs was a tree limb. Just imagine where this is going. Wait, hold on. Describe it one more time. All right, cliff jumping. Yeah, cliff jumping. Yeah, there's tree limbs, you know, that come off the side of cliffs. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and just, you know, something bad happened. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so we- Wait, were, what happened? Well, I, I don't want to get into too much yeah. information. Just put those two things together. Okay, I'm, I'm going to um, just make an assumption here that they jumped off the cliff and hit the tree and maybe it impaled them or something. Something of the sort. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, yeah, so we helped them on their, their day. Okay. Their, their pirate's day, if you will. Yeah. 
So did you, was this a scene call? It it started that way. um, And then they were, however rescue did it, I don't know how they did it, um, but they were able to cut that branch or tree limb. Mm -hmm. And that patient made it to the hospital. And we went to that hospital. And so was it like a smaller hospital that they initially went to? Yeah. uh, You know, so what we do is um, when we call it interfacility transfers, we usually, usually we call them critical access hospitals. So they might not be a hospital that has all the services that can provide, you know, whether it's surgery or cardiac or neurovascular care. And we'll take that patient and bring them to a facility that's able to provide those services. So, and that's what he needed in that case to go somewhere bigger or Um, better maybe he or she yes yeah okay (laughs) gotcha so that's crazy on the helicopter side of things how how did it go from working ground ambulance and being in a hospital on medical in a medical floor or something to going into a helicopter moving object flying through the sky what was that like it's it's totally different um not only you know are you fascinated with the rotors above you right because they're just they're, they're super cool. Yeah. Um, the medicine we're providing in the back and not all those helicopters are huge, right? So you really hope your partner took a shower that day because you guys are, you know, are pretty tight. What kind of helicopter was it that you were working in? Was- we had a EC-135 at the time. Okay. That's a, that's a pretty big helicopter. Pretty decent. Yeah. Um, but you think once you have a patient loaded, right, and all the equipment and stuff on the back, um, that's one of my favorites. Actually, EC-130 is my absolute favorite. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we, we had some room, but it's funny when people, you know, don't know much about this type of field and we do a lot of PR stuff and what we call outreach and try to educate the community and, and stuff like that. And that they always look in, they're like, whoa, that's small. You guys work in that? They're like, yeah, yeah, we do. It's amazing. Well, and it's, it's probably much smaller than like the back of an ambulance. And then you think of an ambulance and that's pretty small. Like yeah. that can drive down the road <laughs> <laughs> and we can fly in the air. Yeah. Was it difficult to do medicine in flight and what kind of, like, are you doing medicine in flight or stabilizing and monitoring? What's your role look like in the back? Yeah. So the goal is hopefully during the flight, you're just managing the patient. You should hopefully uh, be, the patient should be stabilized. So hopefully you stabilize that patient before you loaded that patient into the aircraft. That's not always the way it goes, um, but most of the time, majority of the time, that, that's your goal. So anything that we needed to do invasively, hopefully we did before we loaded that patient into the aircraft. Have you ever had to do like chest compressions in flight? There are times where stuff like that has to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, because we do transport the sickest of the sick, um, we try to stabilize patients before we load them into the aircraft. But we also know that sometimes, you know, time is of the essence and they need to get from point A to point B. And we'll see if we can do whatever we need to do on the way because point B, that hospital is going to save them. Yeah. And it's more valuable just to get going. In the front of the helicopter as a pilot, like turbulence, it's like, uh, you know, it's just annoying for us. Yeah. But I, I mean, I imagine a pilot flying, I'm not a HEMS pilot, I have that desire, but your flying style completely changes. And turbulence to me right now is not a problem like just flying around but turbulence to like an ems pilot they're probably very concerned because they've got the whole staff back there what has your experience been with like turbulence and is that problematic i think the pilots that i've worked with and the pilots that we have are absolutely amazing 
I learn something new from them every single day. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, there is one that comes from the Watertown base that I will never forget. And I still bug him uh, to be like, hey, can you answer my questions? Even, you know, till this day. So turbulence, it got me a couple times, um, especially when it's hot <laughs> and in a flight suit, it's not very temperature forgiving. Mm. And actually this pilot said, hey, I got something for it because I can do most things and not get nauseous. Well, between the turbulence that day and the heat, it kind of caught me off guard. Fireballs. They're amazing. Wait, what? Fireballs. You know those hot atomic? Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. He had like this jar of them and he kept them in his flight suit. He goes, this is what I use when I get nauseous in the helicopter. And I loaded up my flight suit pocket and I got to tell you, it was, I've never been sick since. Really? Yep. Why do you think there's like a chemical in there? Or is it like, because it's so hot, it distracts you have no clue. Okay. It works. Have, but so with the turbulence, have you ever had like, it'd be a problem with a patient? You know, there's some patients, right. If they've never been in an aircraft and they're awake and conscious and responsive, um, there's medication we can give them to help them mm. with that part. So usually it's not too much of an issue. How often are you, your patients conscious versus unconscious? It just, it truly really depends. Okay. It's, it's really hard to say. Um, it's a good mix of both. What it, what's like, so you obviously deal with extremely sick patients. Is there ever a time where someone is so sick that you can't fly them? So some people might say that like, Hey, they're, they might be too unstable to fly. Um, but really that's, that's what we're there for, right? We're, we're there to deliver that critical care medicine. It might take us some time to stabilize them, whether it's on the side of the road or inside a hospital. Um, but that's our role to take them from point A to point B. And what is like the least severe, what, what's like the most least problematic person that you would transfer or that you commonly transfer? That's really hard to say because yeah. I got to tell you it lately, it's been uh, unfortunately, you know, just really sick individuals. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what either I've been seeing for the past few years or maybe just the past two years because of COVID it's really stuck inside my head. Okay. So I, I want to get to that. I want to, this is, we, we had this conversation off, off <laughs> air a couple of weeks ago and that, yeah. that was really interesting and I want to get there. But so you spent two and a half to three years in Watertown. And you've been here for nine. So what, what was after that? Yeah. So we opened a new um, base in Seneca Falls. So out by the Finger Lakes area, uh, did the same thing there, uh, but we just did a new base startup. And that was again, amazing. Good group of people, new family. We had a great time. Um, as time progressed, there was an opening for education and I love learning. I love teaching and I hate it when people say, well, people who teach, right, they can't do. And I'm like, ah, they're full of it. Yeah, what is that? Yeah, that's nonsense. <laughs> um, so I actually procrastinated. I was like, ah, I'm, I'm not going to, I didn't even meet the requirements uh, for that position. What were the requirements? You had to be there for so many years. Um, that was really the requirement that was holding me back. Okay. I didn't have enough air medical experience. And I was like, ah, do I, don't I, maybe I interview, but we'll see what'll happen. So I sat on it for three months and the position was still open. I said, you know what? I'm going to give it a shot. So I submitted my application, my resume, and I emailed at that time, the director of clinical education. And 
basically, this is why you need to pick me. That That's like a very uh, intense statement. Like you need to pick me for this, which I like. What'd you say? Well, I just had to put it out there, right? Yeah. Like, hey, this is why I think I'm on the person. Nice. And that was the most forward I've ever been in my lifetime. Yeah. Like he's going to think I'm nuts. And he calls me and sets up this interview. I'm like, oh, I wasn't expecting that. I'm like, all right, now I, I got to get my shit together. Yeah. Kind of thing. Uh-huh. And so we scheduled this interview and he basically, you know, it was a panel interview. And he's like, so tell me why you, and he was very casual, uh, but he's also very forward, like super smart guy, intimidating smart. He's like one of those. Is it, was he, what was his medical experience to be in that role? Brilliance. Okay. <laughs> absolute brilliant was he like a like a flight paramedic or no, so he was a flight nurse okay um huge critical care background okay well known in the air medical industry very just published gotcha um it's somebody that i admired okay. for sure and that's why you know when i when i put my application i was like there's no way and then when he called me i was like damn okay um and it, actually the interview went pretty decent um, well, congratulations on the second Air Methods interview. Yeah, that went better. <laughs> right. Not too shabby. And uh, apparently he saw something in me that I didn't. And he helped me blossom and truly mentor me in the education field. And I love where I am today. So truly now I, I still do fly in the back of helicopters, um, doing the whole medicine side of things. But I help educate our clinicians. And we have 1,500 clinicians across the country. And I feel right now it's truly a privilege. I get to fly across the country and help teach and educate, but also every day they teach me something new. What is your job title? Division Education Manager. That's cool. Kind of. Depends <laughs> on the day. No, okay. no, it is. It, it's, it's awesome. It's a blast. So what? So you just said it, but like, talk me through your day-to-day. What do you, what do, you do? Well, you know, always it's meetings, all kinds of meetings. It's content development. It's going into labs. It's teaching clinicians. Again, they teach me, but I hate PowerPoint. I can't stand it. It, You know, it's like going back to college and have somebody lecture at you for eight hours. I hate it. So I have an awesome boss. Actually, I have some, a couple awesome bosses and we brainstormed and we, we have such a good team. And we redesigned education. And so it's not just death by PowerPoint. Um, There's a few medical directors that, um, one is Dr. McLean. She is just pure genius. And she actually got me hooked on, like how do people learn Uh, human factors, if you will. And that kind of will lead into an aviation topic as well Mm -hmm. in in research. Um, But how to get, you know, these clinical concepts, how do folks retain it? And how can we get them to retain it? So now we, you know, we use, we call it the sixth sense of proprioception. So, you know, whether it's constructivism games. So we actually developed this game this year called, it's it's like an offsite of cranium. Everybody stands up, they got to pick a color, they got to answer questions. So there's, you know, if I ask you a question, like, hey, Devin, so what is the organ that helps oxygenation? Well, your partner, right, would have to maybe sculpt something like, hey, maybe you sculpt some lungs or or something like that, or you might have to act it out, or you might have to draw it, something like that. So, you know, you have to think outside the box and use your other senses to come up with answers. Mm. So just be a little bit more creative. 
We started something with a, you were a virtual reality, the Oculus stuff. I, very aware. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I'm a fan. Do you play Beat Saber? <laughs> uh, Beat Saber. Was it, which, which one's that? Beat Saber. So it's all related to rhythm and music. And Tyler, is that the one? Got like the, that's the one we have? Yeah. We've got a Beat Saber. Oh yeah. yeah, I'm a fan. So Beat Saber, for anyone that doesn't know, it's like you're kind of like in this like blacked out room and then you're standing there and you've got two Oculus handles and these like blocks come at you and you have to like sw sword swipe these blocks and you like get points and you try not to die and it like gets faster and faster and faster. Yeah, I love that. Okay, keep going. Okay. All right. So our team developed uh, essentially simulation with virtual reality. So we have these goggles and we built medical scenarios. Um, and so let's say you and I are on a flight crew, right? We put these goggles on and we fly to the base of a mountain and there's a guy that fell off the mountain and he's all types of broken and we got to figure out and, and fix them. So whether we do like IVs and fluids or airway management, put them on a heart monitor, uh, it's, it's amazing. That's really innovative because, I mean, this is kind of like a weird uh, point, but it makes sense. All these companies missed the online wave, you know, like on the internet was coming along and some companies took a, like full, went full into it and they were like, okay, we're going to build like a website and we're going to figure out online shipping and the companies that didn't fell behind. So to be on a company that's using virtual reality, this is where we're going um, and figuring out ways to do that and educate through that. That's incredible. I applaud that. That's oh, awesome. it, again, it's like another level of brilliance, but it's not just one person. It's truly a team of folks that, you know, come up with a vision and truly make it happen. And it's one of the reasons why I love working at Air Methods. So who would have thought of that? Tell me your, tell me your last week. what did you do last week? Last week? Yeah. Um, I went to Texas Okay. last week. And how often are you going? Are you going to like re regularly Texas or everywhere? Uh, everywhere in a couple of weeks it's at atlanta and i'm sure in a couple of weeks it'll be like st louis it's oh actually a couple of weeks is california somewhere in california i would have to check my calendar okay it's it's all a blur but last week went to texas and i didn't really like work on patients if you will um but it was meeting with a hospital and leadership on developing an ecmo transport program so, well, and that's, that's perfect that you like that and that you specialize in that. Love it. And now that comes full circle, how many years later? Yeah. That's so cool. Love it. Wow. It's rewarding. Do most hospital systems have, I guess, I guess I don't know the question I'm asking, but do they have like an ECMO transport system or do most hospitals have ECMOs? No, it's truly, um, it's a super specialty, if you will. Okay. Um, so a lot of times you'll have a larger hospital like Albany, Albany does ECMO, um, and patients will be transferred in to either they'll get ECMO at that facility, or maybe they're at a facility that can insert it or initiate it, but they can't maintain it. So then we have to bring them in. And can all air methods helicopters do ECMO? No, not all of them. So it does require a special level of training for our clinicians. Um, and space. Yeah. Is it, yeah. is it a big, is it a big machine? It's not huge, but there's a lot of other ancillary equipment that comes with it and you need a team that's specialty trained for it. So you said you fly, what's the most common helicopter that EC, uh, air methods has? 
So I can't speak to numbers, um, but I can speak to models that I know of. So okay. uh, the EC-135s, the 130s, A-STARS, um, we do have a few 145s, and we do have a few fixed wings. Do you have four sevens? We do. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what has been across your travel to all these different bases, what has been like the most common helicopter that you've seen? The most regular platform that you fly, fly on? Yeah, so it's a pretty good mix of 135s, 407s, and 130s. Okay. What beautiful helicopters. They're all gorgeous. They're cool. Do they all have the same paint job? No, no. Similar. Um, so it's funny. Air Methods is like the umbrella corporation. And then we have what's called programs underneath that. So like the New York program is called LifeNet of New York. Um, and then you might, like in California, they're called Mercy Air. Um, Kentucky's LifeNet of Kentucky. Um, so there's different little programs with them. Do you guys do you guys do the one in uh, Colorado? Which one? Uh, I'm gonna say a hospital name. You may know it. it's called Sky Ridge. We do not. Oh, you know that one? Yeah. There, I think there's Centura Health. Can all helicopters do ECMO? No, because you need um, really when you do ECMO, you need a, a specialty team, a well coordinated team mm -hmm. to function and take care of that patient, and also space. Um, and also space just to have equipment. And for everyone asking, what would cause you to go on ECMO? Like, is it, go ahead and explain to that. Yeah, so there could be a variety of reasons, um, but like the down and dirty of it mm -hmm. is when your lungs don't work well, they don't oxygenate well, and your heart does not call, what we call perfusion, does not circulate your blood well. So those two combinations of essentially your heart not pumping well and your lungs not oxygenating uh, would make you a decent candidate for ECMO. Now there's a lot of uh, criteria <laughs> that you have to meet to be an ECMO candidate. Yeah. But that's like the down and dirty. Is it expensive to go on ECMO? I would imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't deal with that part. I'll do the medicine all day long when yeah. it comes to insurance and stuff. Uh -huh. I don't want to know. I know this is a helicopter podcast, but I do have an interest in medicine. I wanted to go into medicine for a while. So oh, no that's why I'm like really asking. I, I just want to talk about myself for a little bit. I'm going to be selfish. I want to do talk it. about COVID. And then yeah. I want to talk about your COVID because this is uh, so interesting because right. yeah. your perspective of COVID is so much different than mine. Okay. I was in Hawaii going to flight school, working on my... Uh, my commercial and CFI at this time. Oh, wow. And I was in Hawaii. And while I was there, there was like, I, I don't know if a rumor floating around that like, oh, they're going to stop flights. And everything fell apart from my perspective on, it was like Friday the 13th of January, February, March. Oh, wow. March. Uh, it was Friday the 13th. And that's when like the NBA shut down and schools were closing. And yeah. there was this rumor on the island that they were going to stop flights. And I was like, I'm not getting stuck on this island if this is real. Next day, bought a flight home. I was sitting at home for like two months and it was great because, I mean, we were all like paranoid because. Colorado. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We were all paranoid because like, oh, is this going to be the end of the world? I went out and bought myself a new gun because we were all freaking out. But, you know, I sat at home, yeah. like washed my groceries because I didn't know what was going on. And yep. I like did virtual like games with my friends. and stayed in my room and I would like cook by myself. It was, it was like a fine, fun time. Like it, it was watch Netflix, Tiger King. Nice. And it, it was a good time. And then like maybe two months after I was like, okay, not everyone's dying. It's okay. Then I, we went back to school with like precautions. What was your perspective of COVID? When did 
COVID start happening for you and where is it now? Yeah. So it's kind of like a, a loaded question. Okay. Um, I don't even know where to start, but what was your first, when did you first hear of the coronavirus? I, so I was reading CNN mm-hmm. in end of November. And I remember, cause I was texting one of my physician friends and I'm like, Hey, you see like China has this new flu coming out. End of February. End of November, like before what? it was even like true COVID. End of COVID November of what 2019. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember I was just reading CNN. And I'm like, oh, this seems drastic. I wonder what's going on. And I, I emailed her this article. I'm like, hey, you got to check this out. This just seems bizarre. And then obviously it blossomed into what we're seeing today. Wait, okay. No, wait, hold on. Uh uh-uh. uh. <laughs> gotta... Okay. So that was end of. November 2019. Okay. What was your next interaction or thought? I know I'm digging deep, but I want to know. I didn't think much of it in November. Mm -hmm. Uh, December was a different story. Really? Yeah. Uh, So, you know, people obviously were getting sick. In America. Hey, Tyler, look up when the first case case of COVID-19 came into America. Because I remember... I was watching like CNN or whatever news uh, channel and they were like tracking the first case and it was in Washington, right? I can't remember. Was that in January? It's such a blur. Pulled up on the computer. Did you find it? Yeah. Okay. When was it? January 20th. So you were, you read the article and sent it to your physician friend in end of November of 2019. Why was December different? So nothing was like truly I guess diagnosed then, but reading internationally, people are getting sick. So like, oh, you know, it just spikes thought process of, of what's going on. And then obviously, as Tyler just looked up, right, you know, first diagnosed case. Um, but I'm sure people were getting sick before them. It had to be right? coming in like as soon as it as soon as it came about, it must have been here. Well, it, exactly. Right. So just because it was diagnosed that day. Yeah. Doesn't mean it wasn't going on before that. First case, January 2020, the CDC confirms the first U.S. laboratory confirmed case of COVID-19 yeah. in the U.S. from samples taken on January 18th in Washington State. <laughs> Scary. I mean, I mean, I remember I can put myself back in that moment like, oh, crap. And but you're right. You know, everybody was, uh, you know, going and getting groceries. You had masks on, mm-hmm. whether you had, you know, the visors on uh-huh. or gloves on. Right. You would come home. And you had to wipe everything back down. Yeah. Right. Before it went into the house. One of the, one of the craziest ones for me was like, uh, this must've been, this must've been like a couple of days after I got home. My mom was like, I am not going out. You go get groceries and you be careful. And I was like, <laughs> okay. <Thanks>, I, <laughs> I went to the grocery store. We were out front. It was, it's like Colorado in February or March, whatever I said. Yeah. And like, we're like five feet apart and they've got like X's on the oh, road yeah. wrapping around the building because you're not allowed to get close to each other. And then you had to start at the store on the right-hand side, go up one aisle behind a person, and then back go out. down the other aisle. Yeah. You're not allowed to po- cross past each other. They said like, don't touch multiple things. If you're going to take it, take that one thing and put it in your cart. Wild. It's yeah, to where we are now, right? Which yeah. is, I mean, still in, in a pandemic state, but better. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but I, I know where you're going with your question okay. of, of the timeline. And, uh, so you're speaking right. January is the first diagnosed case. And, you know, air methods was very safety conscious for our folks. 
because we didn't know, right? Who had it, who didn't have it. Um, we were just seeing super sick people. So, you know, we had masks, gloves, um, Tyvek suits, booties, everything was just covered. Were you on like, I don't know if leadership team is the right word, but like on the team that was kind of formulating a plan to deal with this? We have, a, that was our higher level of leadership. Okay. Um, and I can't even tell you how many calls or, or meetings that they had. Um, but again, very safety focused and conscientious of everybody and getting what we needed, right? So at that point, uh, any type of medical supplies that was dealing with, you know, gloves or masks um, were, you know, on the news of low supply and uh, they, they maintain our supply. Really? Yeah. It was honestly at that time, right? Whoever thought we would be in that type of predicament. Um, but yeah, whatever we needed, they maintained. Yeah. Cause I mean, as just from a civilian perspective, I couldn't get, I wanted gloves. Like I yeah. wanted those rubber latex gloves to like protect myself at the store. Yeah. And for my grandma, I don't know if they would have actually done anything, but that's neither here nor there, but you couldn't get them. You couldn't get masks online. You couldn't get hand sanitizer. Nothing. You couldn't, you couldn't get anything. No. When did things like go from like weird, weird, weird to like crazy shit hit the fan? Yeah. April 7th. <laughs> Whoa. You know the date. Yeah. January, February, March, April. Okay. April 7th. Yep. So. And was this on the, during the like two weeks to stop the spread or like before that? I don't know if you remember that, but. I don't, I don't remember that. Okay. Yeah. It's like a government policy, like to flatten the curve or something. Oh yeah. Okay. That was like their tag statement, yes. right? Yeah. 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 Uh, but no, beginning of April, um, one of my bosses essentially gave me a phone call and New York city was right. It was the hotspot and said, Hey, we are medevacing patients out of New York city to other hospitals, um, that had room essentially because New York city was just full of patients. Are you willing to go down there? Whatever you need me to do, I'll go down there. Um, my husband wasn't too happy, but Hey, yeah. So packed up my stuff and the next day drove down to New York city. Where were you at this point? So I was at home in Syracuse, okay. just outside of Syracuse. Yeah. And yeah, got a rental car, got my stuff, uh, safety stuff. So Tyvek suits, right? Everything I needed N95s and drove down to New York city. And it was just, the highways were empty. Spooky. Yeah. Never saw anything like it. Yeah. This was probably like right at the peak of like stay at home. Yeah. yeah like ev everything was closed. Yeah. Like, I couldn't even go to Dunkin' and get a cup of coffee. It was closed. Wow. And uh, all right. So heading into New York City and they said, hey, you're going to head to Jamaica Queens Hospital. Like, all right. I'm going to take a guess that that's in Queens. Maybe. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good guess. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Jamaica Queens. Sorry. Sarcasm. No, that's okay. Um, yeah. So a couple of my colleagues um, the day before have been doing similar things. Uh, and I'll go into that in a second at another hospital near Queens, uh, essentially organizing operations to get patients out of hospitals that were literally overwhelmed to bring them to hospitals that were not. I mean, they were still overwhelmed, but not as overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And this was truly like a multi-helicopter effort. I'm talking aircraft from New York, uh, from Pennsylvania, Maryland, Connecticut. Were they all air methods? All air methods and air methods sister programs. Wow. Are there any other, sorry, side point. Is air methods the biggest helicopter EMS operator? Yes. Okay. Is there anyone like even in close comparison? There's other um, well-known uh, air medical providers, mm -hmm. um, but air methods is the largest. Okay. So when when like a, a calamity like this happens, air methods is able to like pull 
they pulled resources. Yeah. It, it was absolutely outstanding. And so I get to Jamaica, Queens, and I, I get in the park a lot and I suit up, right? So Tyvek suit, visors. Have you ever goggles. been to this hospital before? No. Okay. Google. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I get out of the car, I, I dress up, do my safety thing. And, you know, they have the white tents outside, right? I'll, you know, the staging area, stuff like that. And walked in and knew my role um, and who my contacts were. So essentially my role was going into the hospital and being the liaison uh, with the staff charge nurse, uh, locating patients, um, making sure that they are stable and we can medevac them out. So essentially our helicopters were landing at the, the closest airport. Our crew was taking an ambulance from that airport to the hospital. And I would identify the patients that we were transferring out. Was there, so you and the staff charge nurse would work together to determine that? They were, yeah. So we wouldn't, we didn't choose the patients. Mm -hmm. um, we were notified of which patients require transfer. Uh, mind you, it's hospitals that are packed full that I don't think people have ever really seen besides, you know, media pictures. Yeah. Um, is something I've never encountered before in my career. I'm getting chills thinking back to like the videos and pictures. It's terrifying looking. It, it, it is. And I will, I mean, there's so many things I, I will never forget um, from those couple days. But, you know, we, I would locate the patient. Um, I would do my assessment, write down any notes that was pertinent for the flight crew retrieving that patient. I would communicate with my dispatch and my operations. Again, we had a well-oiled machine. Our, our team was amazing. Anywhere from our dispatch to our operational managers, to the clinical, to maintenance, to aviation, everybody worked together. And I would go meet the flight crew at the ambulance bay at the hospital. And we would zigzag, right? Because I had to let my trail of breadcrumbs, I call it, to go back to find the patient. And I would give my patient report. I would help them transfer the patient to their stretcher. Uh, whether the patient required pain meds or sedation or a change in vent settings, whatever that may be, we would do it together. And then I would help them load that patient back into the ambulance and then they would head to the airport to load the patient on the aircraft. How long was the ride from Jamaica, Queens to JFK? I want to say probably 15, 10 or 15. Okay. And that's probably with no traffic. No traffic. Right. I mean, lights and sirens, but do you even need it? Yeah. I mean, there was nobody out there. <laughs> and so this is a really aviation related question, but do you know, so where were the helicopters landing at JFK? That part, I, I don't know. Okay. And I, I mean, this is another guess, but I'm sure those ambulances were able to just get direct access pretty, pretty close to the helicopters. Yeah. So they had, um, I'll have to show you a video mm -hmm. that, that we had. Uh, that's one of the pilots actually put together um, that just shows this incredibly well. I've seen it. Okay. Uh, do you know Russ Johnson? I, yeah. 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 He's uh, He's also a flight paramedic for LifeNet. Yeah. Yeah. He's at the Sydney base. Yeah. So uh, I, th I think I know the reference to the video, but so, I mean, and I think the video, if I can, I'll throw it into the podcast right now so you guys can watch it, but you go ahead and describe the video. Oh, it basically just shows uh, all the resources coming together to pull off. I, I call an amazing effort uh, to get patients the, the care that they needed um, as, you know, resources that we had were overwhelmed at the time. And, you know, I just want to say, you know, because I have an opportunity, the staff at Jamaica Queens on that day, brilliant, outstanding. I, there's many people I'll never forget. Um, the flight crews that came in and out, 
I won't forget, you know, it, it was hard because I knew who they were, but I couldn't recognize them. Right. Because they had all this stuff on and you could only see their eyes. So I'd be like, Hey, who are you? They talk be like, Oh, Hey, Bettina. Hey, Lanny. Hey, Colleen. And then I take a Sharpie and just write it on their chest. So I, I knew who they were. Um, and we were just like elbow bump on the way out. Be like, be safe. I'll see you later or on the next one. Oh my God. What a family. It, it truly, truly was like you, you could not, I mean, I, I guess you guys like in the medical field, like have like, like a pandemic plan, but I don't know if you can really plan this. I, I don't think you can. Yeah. I, I think it's just a, a bunch of minds that look at, you know, patients first, like what does the patient need? And then we develop a, a plan around that. And it wasn't just one patient. It was a lot of patients and just seeing everybody come together. But I, I got to tell you, I've never seen people come together like I did on that day. Yeah. And every year, you know, we send up a group text or we call each other, be like, hey, remember this a few years ago? And just hope everybody's well. Man. So that was, that was, was April 7th the day you arrived there? Yes. Okay. That day was messy. Was that the messiest and then it got better or? That was the only day I was down there. Oh, okay. Uh, I was, well, about 36 hours. Um, you know, did it get better after that from a medevac standpoint? From that location, yes. But taking care of the COVID patients, it's just maintained. Was does Jamaica Queens have a helipad? No. Okay, so that wasn't an option. No. And JFK was the closest airport. Closest airport at that. Yeah. Okay. You were telling me the story about oxygen. Yeah. Um, hot commodity, right? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> necessity. Yes. It is necessity. Um, so I, I can share bits and pieces. Okay. Share what you can. Um, but you know, not only to compound this day that was absolutely exhausting and, and I will say this, right. Um, you want, you put a Tyvek suit on and you're in it for a few hours. You never want to go to the bathroom, right? Because then you got to take it off and it's a process. Mm. Right. So after so long, you know, at some point you got to pee mm -hmm. and you got to drink and had to be about, you know, 12 hours and, uh, everything felt like we had it wrapped up pretty well, um, for that part of the day, we got the patients transferred that we needed to get transferred out. And the charge nurse was, was pretty good. Like, Hey, I'll see you tomorrow type of thing. And I head out to the parking garage and I start, you know, changing, grabbing some water and, uh, my phone rings. They're like, Hey, where are you? Like parking garage. Where are you? Can you come back? Okay, cool. Yeah, I can come back. See what's up and walk in and nothing seemed different. I just left it 15 minutes ago. And again, like it's still a level of chaos, but the level of chaos didn't change. I got kind of used to it and started to talk to some people and say, Hey, somebody call me back. What do you guys need help with? And they're like, well, we've run into an issue and uh, we're, we're going to need your help again. And it was just running into an issue with some oxygen consumption. And that's probably the deepest I can get into that topic. Mm -hmm. um, but I will just say it was an enormous effort that was successful um, to transfer patients out and keep them cared for. Mm. Yeah. Well, in, in a hospital, oxygen, like you said, is a hot commodity. So yeah, I, I won't, I won't make you go any deeper into that. So you, that was your 36 hour nightmare, but 
success in Jamaica, Queens, New York? It's a humbling experience, actually. Yeah. And, uh, you know, something that, you know, the way I look at it is, was it stressful? Was it overwhelming? Absolutely. Um, but I'll never forget the conversations I had with patients, the conversations I had with staff members at Jamaica, Queens, um, the conversations I had with family members. Those were truly touching. So you would, the ambulance would go from Jamaica, Queens to JFK. And who were where were these helicopters coming in from? Yeah. Um, I mean, we had helicopters from, New York, so usually um, Albany, Ticonderoga, uh, Sarah, Pennsylvania, Hagerstown, Maryland, um, some of our sister programs in Connecticut, Seneca Falls, New York. I mean, it was everywhere. And so they would fly from JFK to where? So whatever hospitals were in that resource line that was able to accept them. Um, so usually that was Albany Med at that time. Mm, okay. And how long was the flight from JFK to Albany Med? I can't tell you how long. I have, can't be that long. Okay. Um, I, I, I can't recall. Yeah. And the, the pilots, I mean, I, I can just imagine like being a pilot, like, yeah, okay. You're Wick for air methods. You're doing helicopter EMS. You're going to deal with sick patients. But a pandemic is something totally different that a pilot may have never even thought about. As a medical professional, you, you, you know about like community diseases or whatever. But like a pilot has never thought about that. Yeah. And they have to sit there in the front of their helicopter and take care of someone that's dying and people that are trying to prevent them from dying while this airborne virus is taking over. Pilots are. Yeah. It's impressive. They're badass. Yeah. They, the, whole, the whole team. They, they did what they had to do. What does COVID look like now with air methods and what are you guys doing? So I, I think we're maintaining what we've done from the start um, when it comes down to, you know, clinician safety and patient safety, if you will, aviation pilot safety. None of that has changed. They're always evaluating CDC guidance. We have our own safety team also. Um, and we have our own patient safety team. So it's really a well-oiled machine. It's always a hot topic of conversation because every state has its own guidance too, right? So we operate in so many different states. You know, New York might be different than Florida and, and how they operate. So making sure we're, we operate within state regulations and guidelines. It's messy. We don't, yeah. we don't have to get into the politics of it, but it's just, that's messy yeah. and difficult. Yeah, I just like taking care of patients. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's your job in... It, it it's sounds difficult. So back to like what I said on the opening line of this is you're one of our students. I am. Yeah. And I'm a helicopter flight instructor and Nick's a flight instructor and you're one of our students. How did you go from the back <laughs> of the helicopter? You, I know you said that you had a fascination to wanting to become a pilot or something. Yeah. So, right, came into medicine with no air medical experience. Well, on the air medical side, right? I came into medicine with a little bit of experience, not this type of, um, not this level, not this scope. And fell in love with helicopters. And I will never forget, we were going from Watertown to Burlington, Vermont, over the mountains. And, you know, going through INDOC and training and all of our online training, uh, we do aviation training as well. And I'll never forget the term double IMC. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're flying, right? My partner's on the side of me. We have a patient. And I, I hear the pilot who was amazing. He's like, okay, 
Just let you know, continue what you're doing. Double IMC. And I'm like, what? That's what he said. And I'm like, you know, I'm thinking of like what that is. And I'm like, oh, uh, oh, that that's what we're doing. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, we're good. And I, I look out the window and I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. 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 That That's all I had. For anyone that's listening, that is not helicopter or yeah, that's not a pilot in the aviation world. Double IMZ is inadvertent instrument meteorological conditions, inadvertently flying into clouds, bad weather. And it is not necessarily a problem. However, pods that are not trained and that do not respond quickly or correctly, double IMC is a big killer of helicopter pods and fixed wing pods. It is the number one killer of helicopter pods. And basically, you're flying the helicopter, everything's fine. You fly into a cloud. We rely so heavily on our visual sense that as soon as you can't see, you have problems and you lose control of the aircraft. And it's a problem. Even if you have instruments, it's like you just black out and um, it, it's a problem. Double IMC is a problem. It's one of the things that I'm most scared of as a pilot. Even though I'm like an instrument rated pilot, it's very scary. So he says, hey guys, keep working. Double IMC. What helicopter were you in? 135. And that's IFR capable and, and rated. So he was just so calm and collected. It was, it intrigued me, right? More so uh, I had just a high level understanding of double IMC. You know, mm-hmm. I'm doing my thing. Mm-hmm. I'm busy. He's doing his thing. And we were quickly out of it. It was unforecasted. Mm. And, you know, he gets us to where we're going. And I'm like, I have so many questions for you right now. And, you know, it started again, piquing my interest and yeah, I could do this stuff in the back, but now I want to start flying the thing. And obviously that took a lot of years and, and interest, and I just didn't know how to go about it. Um, so mind you, right. This interest peaked nine years ago, didn't know how to do this, but I had so much on my plate medicine wise to study. This was like, Hey, maybe you can kind of get to this. So you bring up Russ Johnson, um, Russ and I have known each other for quite a few years work within the same program here in New York state. And I knew he was flying, you know, fixed wing. And then he was doing rotor. And so I called him and I'm like, Hey dude, how are you doing this? Cause I'm at a point where, or I was at a point, like, do I get my master's? Do, don't I, what am I going to do with it? And can I have fun with it? And at the end of the day, the answer was no, I couldn't have fun with a master's degree. It's great to have. Um, but I also wanted to look at something, not saying I don't love my career, but a second career, or how can I augment my current one? So Russ introduced me to you guys. He's like, they're great. They're fantastic. They're accredited. They're down to earth. They're casual. I mean, he was just boasting you guys. And I'm like, all right, I want to set up an intro flight and set up an intro flight. And don't you know, my first three scheduled intro flights were canceled for wind Really? with Matt. And I was like, oh, I'm getting so discouraged. And finally, I went up at the end of June, did my first intro flight with Matt, and I was, I was hooked. Mm-hmm. I'm like, this is it. This is what I want to do. Um, you know, I have some longer term goals with this, but uh, obviously, I just want to, you know, finish private and commercial first. And I want to give a big shout out to Jen here. Jen, <laughs> two weeks ago, had her first solo. Oof, yeah. yeah, congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> so you, yeah, that's a, it's a massive step. You flew a helicopter by yourself. 
Yeah, I'm still stoked about it. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. What was it like? Um, you know, so Nick had me do what we're calling helicopter push-ups, right? Mm-hmm. So pickups and set downs, and and that was great. Loved it. Um, weight, yeah. Who knew being a lightweight was such a big deal? <laughs> yeah. So the minimum weight is like 135. I won't ask your weight, but I know you're probably not as heavy as me. So the helicopter probably picked up very quickly. Quickly. Yeah. Super quick. Um, but you know, Nick was awesome because he was mentally prepping me for all, all this type of stuff that I was going to encounter and exactly what he prepped me for is exactly what happened. And so he was pretty good on that. He was on point. What happened? Uh, yes. What'd you feel? So usually when I pick up, especially when Nick is in the aircraft, um, that right side picks up, right. I balance it out a little bit and, uh, I have a level attitude while by myself nose goes up pretty quick. <laughs> And I was like, oh, shit, he was right. Um, yeah, I, I, I got to fix that. Yeah, and it, it goes up quick and it goes up. It's like at a weird angle, like the nose pitches up high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tail down. And I'm yes. like, yeah, he wasn't kidding. Yeah. Yeah, I, I should fix that. It's significant, huh? <laughs> and better yet was, um, you know, he was taking video. So honestly, not that I hate to look at what I'm doing, but that's super helpful for me mm-hmm. because I can look at it. I'm like, yeah, just as he described, but it, I feel like it helps me maybe hopefully one day perfect my skills. Yeah. It helps me get better at least. Yeah. And so you want to get your private and your commercial. Can you tell me what you want to do? Do you know what you want to do? I do actually. So one, I love my job right now. I don't want to leave it. Mm -hmm. Um, But not that this, I don't want this to come across cliche, but I always love to help people. But I would love to take this skill and this aviation enthusiasm and apply it towards there's patients that always need to get somewhere quickly um, in relation to getting an organ transplant. And I would love to have a service of, hey, you know, they need to go from here to Pittsburgh or here to Philly. And, you know, that drive, you know, that's six, seven hours. I would love to take them where they need to go. That's incredible. Yeah. So it's not like the EMS, like chest compressions and medicine in the back, but using a helicopter to get someone where they need to be quickly for that transplant. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to do that. Whoa, Jen. Whoa, maybe one day. That's so cool. Um, for anyone, I mean, someone out there is going to like that. How can people contact you? Yeah. So email, um, which is fun because it has the first tail number of the aircraft in my email. So J N O C E two, three, five, a as an alpha, M as in Mike at gmail.com. Yeah. So 235 alpha Mike, first EC 135. That's so cool. <laughs> Love that I like that you picked that as your uh, your email. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah. But uh, hopefully in the future, um, you know, if I continue going where I'm going, so flying every Sunday with you guys, mm-hmm. it's going to take some time, but it's worth it. Uh, that's where I'd love to go. Yeah. That, that's such a cool application of helicopters. You kind of answered all my questions. Is there anything that you would tell an aspiring flight medic, flight nurse, or student pilot from, <laughs> I get, okay, we'll start with flight medic so or nurse. There. Yeah. yeah. I just think devote the time. If you don't have the time to commit, it's going to be very hard to be successful. Um, and you need a good support group to help you through that. So, you know, if my mom didn't push me or if my husband didn't push me or say, you know, cause you're, 
devoting all this time. I would love to, you know, go out on the weekends or stuff like that. My face has been buried in a book for years, <laughs> which is great. Um, but that's what my dogs are for. That's what my family's for. You know, they help you get through it, but it's extremely rewarding. I, I wish I did this 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Now I'm kind of dating myself, um, but it's the best experience, the best career I've ever had. Let me ask you this. What is the quickest route if someone wants to be in the back of a helicopter doing medicine? What would you say? How do you do this fastest? Yeah, so minimum requirement is three years. So paramedic busy 911 system um, for a nurse, uh, mix of ICU and ER experience. And I just say, challenge yourself. You know, I, I love, I mean, I have, there's a ton of people I stay in contact with and would help mentor or help guide or help them study, if you will, because there's certain exams we have to take and maintain clinical competency. And there's so many people that just don't know how to do it. So if there's an interest, email me. I'll, I'll help you get through it. I have to ask you this because you speak very highly of the company you work for and what you do, what is the worst part about your job and be honest? Like what, <laughs> what do you not like? I, I do love what I do. Uh, I spend a lot of time doing it. Mm. I need to figure out a better work-life balance. Mm -hmm. Is it, is it, what is your, what's your work-life balance right now? Like how often do you work? How often are you at home? Uh, so I'm traveling every other week for my current position. Um, which is amazing. So I get to see different people, different aircraft, different parts of the country, which is extremely rewarding. Um, the not so fun part, right, is the travel and not being at home. Mm -hmm. um, but I have an amazing work family that helps balance us. You know, I, I get a, a pretty decent balance. Um, but we are innovative, right? We're creative, always think of new ideas. And I have a hard time being stagnant too. So this is a little bit, you know, fault on my own that if I'm not doing something, it drives me insane. So I always like to be busy. Um, so I'll say I own most of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, being at home is great. I have a couple of great Danes. I train them to be therapy dogs. Wow. Yeah. So we have uh, Murphy. She's four and 170 pounds. Can you send me a picture of Murphy and we'll throw it up on the podcast oh, right yeah. now? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, she actually goes to conferences with me and uh, she's great to have. We have Maggie and actually we just, we have our newest addition. She was born seven days ago. Wow. Yeah. Happy birthday. Yeah. It's <laughs> awesome. So she's 1.5 pounds and she's another great Dane and we'll train her to be a therapy dog. And what's her name? So Molly Mayhem. Wow. A little inkling of how I think this is going to go. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> so she's the, th the third dog. The third great Dane. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if your salary is published or the salary of flight medics and nurses. Is, is that common knowledge? Is that public knowledge or is it on a case by case basis? It's so it also goes by experience and certification. So we have our HR department and recruiting department deals with that part. So mm -hmm. I, I can't speak to, to that okay. piece of it. They, they get paid enough? No one's paid enough. <laughs> no, no, I know. The, the reason I ask is because let's say you're on the pilot side. I mean, I get, I get just from the research I've done and the people I've talked to, pilots are compensated. All right. I, I don't think it's anything great. But um, on, on the medical side, Nurses, I mean, I just see on Twitter and TikTok on, on the news, travel nurses are making a ton right now. Is that, you think that's going to continue? 
I, I do because I think there's a nursing shortage. Yeah. And I'm not so sure, you know, how fast or inclined people are to get into the healthcare field right now. There's, there's always going to be job security. Um, but a lot of folks, right, are overwhelmed and overworked. Yeah. Um, and they're truly, it, whoever is working healthcare in your field, uh, you know, in the field, your family, your friends, just thank them. Yeah. They're, they're amazing folks, hands down. They don't get enough credit. Well, Jen, I can't, I can't thank you enough um, for coming on. This was incredibly insightful. You, uh, you dropped your email. Um, if people have questions, they want to reach out to you. That email, say it one more time. Yeah. So J N O C as in Charlie, E as in Edward, two, three, five, A as in alpha, M as in Michael at gmail.com. Yeah. Jen, it was an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. No, thank you. And I look forward to your future flight instruction. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Stu.